Well, dear friends, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 147, verse 3. In other words, there's no physician like the Lord, no Savior like Christ. And those whose hearts are broken beyond repair, the Lord comes and he cares and he binds up our wounds because he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And as we see in this passage here this morning, he restores someone of like passions as you and me, Elijah. Theme looking to the Lord is God heals the broken in heart. We'll see, first of all, a dejected patient. Secondly, a gentle therapy. And thirdly, the gracious healer. First of all, the dejected patient. What are you doing here, Elijah? This question, when it reaches us, and we're off the way and away from our post, where God has called us, it searches us. And it's the beginning of God's restoring mercy in our lives. Just picture with me this juniper tree and this curled up man sleeping under it. His clothing gives him away, camel's hair, leather girdle. But is that Elijah, the prophet? What are you doing in the desert under a juniper tree? What has changed since that day when fire fell upon the sacrifice and the rain fell down from the heavens that had been closed for three plus years, proving God's power to this nation. Let, let's be clear, it, it wasn't the threat of Jezebel that caused this flight of Elijah. There had been a price on Elijah's head for many years, and all the while Elijah had thumbed his nose at it. And though this threat had triggered something, he would tell the Lord the cause of his distress. In verses 10 and 14, he repeats it. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. We have here a case of profound soul eroding spiritual discouragement. And the royal threat only pours oil or fire, fuel on the fire that's already burning in Elijah's soul. And so Elijah runs away. He leaves Jezreel where he'd been and goes 75 miles to the southern part of Judah. There he leaves his servant behind, a little addition there in the text, which is interesting. He isolates himself. Sometimes we do that when we most need human company. We, we, we push people away. We isolate ourselves. And Elijah altogether would travel 300 miles. Surely in his soul lives something like what the psalmist says in Psalm 55. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly far away and be at rest. 
Then I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever said that? You ever prayed that? Collapsing under a juniper, he laments. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. For I'm no better than my father's. There probably been in his soul this desire to excel his fathers. And here in this moment, he sees nothing but the fact of, of failure. No better. It is enough. Take away my life. You see, dear friends, his, his will to live is gone. He's alone. He's disheartened. He's sorrowful, discouraged, depressed. This mighty lion of Carmel wants to go to sleep and not wake up again. Have you ever been there? When you look at this, what do you say? You're ready to shake him and say, Elijah, where's your courage? Do you, do you want to remind him of all the good that he's done up till this point? Perhaps you've had a juniper tree like this in, in your past or maybe even in these moments. And if not, there might be one waiting for you in your future. And friends, as we look at Elijah here, we see ourselves because we see here human nature left to itself. You and me. A man of like passions as ourselves. Human nature subject to fluctuation, discouragement, as one has called it, fainting fits. Many of you will know the story of Martin Luther, the hero of the Reformation who wrote those amazing words, we still sing, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, the Lord Jehovah on our side, one little word, will fell them. The same Luther at the height of the Reformation attended a, a conference in Leipzig, and on his way home, he was overtaken with such a spirit of discouragement, he wrote his wife, Dear Catherine, I'm not coming home to Wittenberg. Please remember that. I will not come home to Wittenberg. Do me a favor, sell the house, sell everything you have, for I can't work there any longer. I don't want to work there any longer. It's never amounted to anything in Wittenberg, and it shall never amount to anything either. Fainting fits. And friends, the Bible is so honest about human nature. Whereas we cover our faults and our failings and our flaws, the Bible uncovers them. We see them right there before us. And, and why do we do that then? And shouldn't we take from this that especially before the Lord, but also before each other, we show our need. We tell the Lord, I'm sick, Lord. I'm weak. I'm faltering. I'm oppressed. Undertake from me. I'm in darkness. All hope is gone. You know, as, as much as Elijah's mission was bound up helping his people 
Israel. I don't think Elijah realized that this chapter in his life has helped countless people be able to relate to him and find strength to help in time of need. Would you have ever drawn close to this gruff prophet of Carmel who calls down fire and rain from heaven with a few simple words? I can't come close to that, but the desert floor, Elijah, we gather with him. There's, there's place there around him. And, and didn't our Lord Jesus Christ also show this same heart of vulnerability when he said to his disciples in the hour of his suffering, watch and pray, for I am exceeding sorrowful even unto death. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, that he might be this compassionate and understanding high priest who he shows himself to be here centuries already before his coming in the flesh, as we see secondly here in this gentle therapy. And as he lay and wept, and excuse me, and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And this happens twice, a visit from an angel. This tells us that Elijah is not alone in the desert. A ministering angel has, has followed him into the desert, or perhaps better said, is waiting there for him. And not just any angel. Verse 7 calls him the angel of the Lord. No one less than the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, before his incarnation. And notice, first of all, what the angel does not do. He does not sit Elijah down and tell him how wrong he is, how wayward and disobedient he is. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't point him to the reason for his discouragement and dejection. He lets it stand for what it is. He bears with it. He's not embarrassed by it. You see, God knew beforehand what this weak vessel, this broken vessel would be like and chose him notwithstanding and was using him notwithstanding. And, and what a wonderfully instructive therapy we have here from the Most High, from God. It's as if we have here a page from the divine textbook in terms of how God deals with his discouraged children. Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, we were gentle among you as a nurse. And see how gentle the Lord is here with his servant Elijah in three successive steps. First of all, the Lord lets him sleep. And I press this upon us in these moments because we're called to be diligent and work hard we can neglect sleep and the care of our body in a way that is not becoming a Christian, not honoring to our God. God has ordained sleep as a way for our minds and emotions to recharge. And we cannot thrive without adequate rest. There are many references in the Bible to this, to this 
uh, in, in this way. The Lord gives his beloved sleep. Or like he says to his disciples, sleep on now and take your rest. Come apart and rest a while. The Lord does not want his people, generally speaking, to exhaust themselves even in the pursuit of things that are legitimate. We are to be responsible in how we take care of our bodies as well as our souls and ensure that we get adequate rest for them. The Lord lets him sleep. But secondly, the Lord provides food for him. This little cake, a little loaf of bread, some water. Someone said, made in the kitchen of heaven for Elijah. The angel brings it to him and he bids him eat and drink. The journey is too great for you. What tender care the Lord shows to Elijah and to all his creatures. Food he daily gives the hungry. And, and there's all these snippets in, in the word of God. For example, when Christ raised the daughter of Jairus, he, he had just conquered death in that moment and released this little girl from the bonds of death. And what does he say to the parents? Give her something to eat. That shows his care for, for, for the body and the nurture of those who have needs. But besides letting him sleep and providing food for him, the Lord deals very patiently with Elijah. Verse 7 says he, he wakes him up again and again invites him to, to eat. It's, it's not as if one time is, is all that Elijah gets. No, in fact, it's going to be 40 days, 40 days before this breakthrough in Elijah's life. And the impression that this gives is that the Lord is not in a hurry with him. He repeats his care. He provides again. The Lord waits, doesn't he, to be gracious to his children and to his people. He takes his time. See the tender care of the Most High here with Elijah. But most amazingly, God doesn't let Elijah die. That's what he had prayed. He doesn't give in to Elijah's request. In fact, he does the exact opposite. He does everything to make him live. And this repeated injunction, rise and eat, especially in the Hebrew, rise, get up. You're not going to die. Rise and eat. And this congregation is a, is a great message of the gospel that comes from the word of God. And that is that God does not desire the death of the wicked, nor anyone. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what... That's what Jesus says. That's what the good shepherd says. And he's come here to seek his wandering sheep as the good shepherd. And he binds up his wounds and he feeds him. And he'll lay down his life for him. Elijah doesn't have to die. The good shepherd will do everything that this sick child of God needs. Well, friends, Psalm 18 has these remarkable words. Thy gentleness has made me great.
God's gentleness is such that it makes the child of God to stand, to go forward, to live. Indeed, the Lord here shows such gentleness, stooping next to Elijah, bearing with Elijah, nursing Elijah back to health and, and life. And what, what a model for, for us. The fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, gentleness. The Lord would have his people be like himself, have that character in how we deal with others, how we deal with ourselves. When we see this, I think of all the times I've been harsh, uncaring to others in need and distress among the flock of Christ. We see this in God's gentleness. Shouldn't this melt our hearts? Shouldn't this work in us the desire, Lord, make me more like this? And so God brings Elijah back from the grave so that he might say with the psalmist, I shall not die, but live and tell the wonders of the Lord. And some of those wonders we see in our last point, the gracious healer himself. Because, dear friends, God will not just care for Elijah physically, mentally, and emotionally. He's going to give Elijah a vision of himself that Elijah has not had, certainly not to this extent, up till this time. Because ultimately is in the sight of God and in, in hearing his voice that we get back everything that we ourselves would would lose and give away. And this will happen at Horeb. So after 40 days travel, Elijah arrives at Horeb and finds a cave. He sleeps there for the night. And this is the place, of course, where God had revealed himself hundreds of years before to the people. And Elijah has come to complain about these very people. And so when the Lord asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Israel has forsaken thee, thrown down thine altars, and I only am left. And when you look at this complaint of Elijah, you hear the many eyes. I, 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 only I. And it tells us something about the state that, that Elijah is in, isn't it? Someone has said, what is the heart of sin? It's it's S-I-N. It's just a mnemonic device, but it, it puts before us how our I is, is, is so big often. And here, even before the Lord, he's, he's, he's talking about himself. I only am left. Self-pity, self-focus is often at the heart of spiritual discouragement. But the Lord will give Elijah a vision of who he is, of God's self. And he does that in a most remarkable way. He invites Elijah to stand before him in the mount of the Lord. And then these theatrics begin. First a wind, a strong wind that shatters the rocks in pieces. And after the wind, an earthquake very foundations of the earth are shaking. And after this, a great fire, spectacular fire. 
And, and all of these things are amazing. And yet the Lord was not in these things. Now, of course, they come from the Lord and they show something about the character of the Lord. The Lord is in all of this, and yet he is not in these things in the way in which Elijah is recognizing who he is, as he will in this next episode. To put it another way, spectacular experiences like the wind, the fire, and the shaking of the earth were not something that could ultimately address the deepest experiential need of Elijah's heart. The whole mountain being a theater of God's power and might, his sovereignty and glory, was not in this moment what Elijah needed to see and hear. But against the backdrop of all of this disappearing, ebbing away, and the whole place quieting down against that backdrop, Elijah hears a still, small voice. Literally, the Hebrew means a small, gentle whisper. It's like when you talk to your friend, your close friend, and you whisper. And there are two things in this happening that are instructive for us. First of all, what God says to him. The first thing is, I have left me 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. In other words, Elijah, you've missed 6,999 because you've just been looking at the eye. Your vision is so small. And of course, this is probably not a literal number, but symbolical, the full number of God's people that he has according to the election of grace in every age. But the point is, his vision has been too restrictive. He's missed so much of what he needed to see. But secondly, the Lord tells him to go anoint Hazael, king of Syria, Jehu, king of Israel, and Elisha as his successor in the ministry. And all of these are going to be revolutionary things. Uh, and, and, and the point is that whether they be international politics or national politics or the gospel ministry, God controls it all. His power is not limited. I rule in the armies of heaven and on earth. I topple kingdoms. And ultimately, it is my word that will slay. Judgment will at last appear. My judgment will take place. And you, Elijah, you may faint and grow weary, as young men and young women will do. They may utterly fall, but I am never weary. And there is no searching of my understanding. Elijah, you thought that I was altogether like yourself. 
you were focused on I only. And you must be focused on God only. God sets his I have left over against Elijah's I am left. But dear friends, it's not just what the Lord says, but how he says it to Elijah in these moments that affects this amazing wonder of restoration in Elijah's heart. Because it's the whisper, the whisper that does it all. What are the kinds of things that you whisper to your friend, to your spouse, to a child, to someone close to you? Those are words of reassurance. You don't shout those, you whisper them. So as to draw attention to the heart and the emotion and the depths that lie in those things. Elijah was a man who was used to the fire and the wind and the earthquake. But God is showing him here how he too needs much more than that. He cannot live off of the spectacular. Instead, he needs the sweet sound that comes when God speaks to you as someone speaks with his friend. When we put this in the light of the whole of the scriptures, we realize that what happened in the fullness of time is that the word that was with God and the word that was God became flesh in such a way that there in the fields of Ephrata, in the manger, there is something that is indeed the word of God. But to you and me and our greatness, it looks like a whisper. But what does it say? It says God contracts himself here to become like us in all things sin accepted, to come close, to come near, to do our life over again, to do what we fail to do and to undo what we have done wrong. He's there. He's the voice. He's the word made flesh so close. So near. So amazing. And the things that he says as he grows up in his ministry. Come unto me. And rest. The bruised reed I will not break. Smoking flaxes like Elijah I will not quench. Sinner, rest in me. That's how God speaks to us. And we learn to rest in him. We see that in our text because Elijah, as he hears this gentle, soft whisper of God, he covers his face with his mantle, which is something he didn't do when he saw the wind or felt the wind and he saw the fire and felt the earthquake. The mantle never covered his face. But when he has the Lord speaking here to him as a man speaks to his friend and says these remarkable things that reorient him and restore him, Elijah takes his mantle and covers his face as if to say, 
There's room here only for one face. He hides from the greatness of the presence of a glorious God whose weakness is stronger than men, whose foolishness is greater than the wisdom of man. He covers his face and he adores the majesty of God manifest in mercy. That makes the difference. So I ask you as we close here today, what are you doing here? What are you doing? It's a searching question. But it's also a question that points us to him. And as I hear him say this in my heart, and I trust you do as well, I say, Lord, what am I doing here now? Now I'm resting. Now I'm resting in God and in his word. Amen.